It's time for mo- midday here on this Monday, the 18th day of January. Tyler Cavalli along with you. The whole gang here in just a moment. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen in sports. Bob will step in here in just a couple minutes as well. Still watching some snow in eastern Nebraska, otherwise 40s in the southern portion of Nebraska, north central Kansas as well. But let's bring on Susan Littlefield to give us a preview of what's to come here in midday. Susan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a little cloudy, gloomy, and a flake here or there, but mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, it's a Monday. It is a Monday, and uh, it sounds <laughs> like it's going to be a busy midday here on this Monday. It is. We're going to kick it all off as Clay steps in at 1219, a great program that's coming up. He's going to speak with a gentleman from the bank branch, President in Kozad, about the second round of the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, or as it's being known, PPP 2.0. So we'll have uh, more updates with that. And that can be part two as well coming up from him at 117, then sandwiched in between. I speak with a Minnesota pork producer who is on the board for the National Pork Producers Council. They've got a brand new uh, campaign that's out there called Farming Today for Tomorrow. So we're going to talk more about what that all means for pork producers that are already environmental stewards. So even though it's a holiday, we're going to have a fun-filled midday for everybody. That's right. Some good information about the PPE, too, as well. So look forward to that. Yes. All right. Thank you, Susan. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. All right. Let's turn over to Jason in sports. And, wow, the Husker women's basketball team, boy, they just keep rolling. Yeah, third win over a top 25 team as they were able to get it done on defense on Saturday. Coming up in sports, we'll hear from head coach Amy Williams about how they did it this time around. Of course, they've been shorthanded. Uh, another nice story to this has been freshman walk on Whitney Brown from Grand Island. She continues to help out the Husker cause. Also, we'll talk uh, NFL. The NFC and the AFC title games are set. Probably there were some nervous Chief fans for a while yesterday after the franchise. Patrick Mahomes uh, was a little wobbly. You know what? I bet that stretch option play is no longer in the playbook anymore. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. But how about the way he went for it on fourth down in yeah. shotgun position? Andy Reid, terrific stuff. So. At uh, the 50-yard line, you look like a genius when it works. Right. Right. Also, how about uh, the ancient Chad Henney mm-hmm. taking off on that long run to get them even in a spot to even go for it? But I don't think even if the Browns got the ball back, with the way the Chiefs defense right. was playing, they, they weren't going to move it. It sets up an interesting AFC championship game. Buffalo, the way they've played lately as well, they'll be tough to beat. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. And, of course, in the NFC, at Tom Brady, I'd... I'd love to see him make it back to the Super Agreed. Bowl. With Agreed. The yep. That'd I agree with cool. you. I don't know if they can. But they handled the Packers before, so who knows? We'll see how he handles the uh, the yeah. snow and uh-huh. cold there in Green Bay. Normally ancient quarterbacks and cold weather at the <laughs> end of the year, that doesn't end well. And he's mentioned he's not a fan <laughs> no. of going in that area during the wintertime. So, all right, thank you very much. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan, and I know stocks are closed today. The markets are closed, so uh, what do you have for us? Markets are closed, but there's still things going on. The U.S. Capitol Complex was temporarily locked down during a rehearsal for President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration after a fire in a homeless encampment about a mile away. Also, uh, of course, it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and... um, the nation is observing the holiday and reflecting on his work for racial equality. Three. It's time for our regional ag weather update here on this Monday. Paul Perkins now stepping in the studio. And, well, Paul, if you're along the I-80 or south and into Kansas, 
You're seeing some nice warm temperatures in the low to mid-40s already. Exactly, and that's where a lot of the sunshine has been. Most of the cloud cover right now from about Ainsworth down to Broken Bow and Lexington, then right along I-80 and points to the north into northeast Nebraska, and that's where those temperatures are more so in the low to mid-30s. And also some areas of snow still falling from about Columbus, York, and Seward to just south of Omaha, but that activity moving off towards the east, but not expected to amount to a whole lot. Now, these temperatures, are they going to continue for the rest of the week? Exactly. They will be. Uh, looks like today, uh, right about uh, slightly above average for this time of year. Uh, Wednesday looks to be the peak of the nice weather. Mm -hmm. Then things start to get a little unsettled as we head towards the end of the week into the weekend. But it doesn't look like a major system. Most of the energy with it going to be well to our north. Okay. All right. Well, we'll enjoy <laughs> the, the warmer temperatures that we're seeing right now. Again, mostly 40s. Kansas is going to see 50 degrees in no time. Exactly, yeah. A very nice temperatures right now, especially over central Kansas where temperatures are as warm as 48 right now at Hayes, 49 at uh, Russell, Kansas. But temperatures across much of southwest Nebraska into northern Kansas and northeast Colorado in the low to mid-40s. A little more sunshine there. Then those clouds uh, very prevalent across much of central and east Nebraska to the north of the interstate. That's where temperatures currently are mostly in the mid to upper 30s. And once again, that light snow stretching from York and Seward to the Columbus area to south of Omaha, but drifting to the southeast. Another disturbance is going to be diving southeast out of southwest South Dakota for this afternoon. That's already producing some light snow into southwest South Dakota. Just some very light precipitation within expected as it moves to the southeast. We're on the backside of an Alberta clipper, a quick-moving area of low pressure out of Alberta, Canada. Today will be breezy with that clipper moving through, but temperatures luckily slightly warmer than average. Some light snow, rain, flurries, and sprinkles all remain a possibility, mainly across central and eastern areas of Nebraska where a little bit more cloud cover will be. Better chances of seeing some sun to the south and the west. Tomorrow through Thursday, mostly sunny and dry with slightly above normal temperatures as the main storm tracks stay well to our north and south. Wednesday, the mildest day of the next seven when a southwest flow warms those daytime highs on into the 50s. Now, Friday night through the weekend starts to turn unsettled with some chances of snow and a wintry mix. Currently, the best chance of accumulating snow will be in a band over South Dakota. The unsettled weather may stick around for a while. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to be slightly cooler than normal for this weekend through the last day of this month. Those temperatures now will start to trend a little bit higher by the late parts of January with average daytime highs in the upper 50s and average overnight lows in the mid-teens. So we are at least starting to see our average daytime highs inch back up. Precipitation likely to be above normal this next weekend through early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. That outlook trends towards near normal to slightly above normal for precipitation by late next week through January 31st. So overall, a little bit better chances of precipitation to close out the month of January. And it's probably no surprise to many, but the recent early months that we start to see winter-like weather have been much warmer than normal. In central Nebraska, the period from November 1st through January 15th, the warmest ever in over 125 years of record-keeping. 125 years. Yes, and it's been the warmest wow. ever. Wow. And, yeah, and in many locations of central Nebraska, there have only been two nights when the temperature has dropped to 10 degrees or lower since November 1st. And what is it supposed to be? About the average is uh, over the last 30 years is 12 nights. So. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so it's been very mild winter yeah. so far. Uh, it may be a little bit uh, nastier by the end of this mm. month, but overall it's not looking overly bad here. So, and then when you get into February, and then 
Yeah, it's you're kinda, on the downhill. You're going right into the summer months. <laughs> exactly. Just got to get through this month here. Exactly. So kind of the worst of the winter uh, has been well above average for winter weather this year. Taking a look at our national weather scene, there will be damaging winds and an increasing fire weather threat for large parts of California over the next few days. Lake effect snows likely bringing locally heavy accumulations downwind to the Great Lakes and some heavy snows likely over the southern Rockies. A new week will begin with very windy conditions across large parts of California. That combination of a developing area of low pressure off the southern California coast and strengthening high pressure from the Rockies into the Great Basin, increasing the winds across much of California in the next few days. High wind warnings and advisories in effect across much of California where winds could gust as high as 80 in the mountain areas. The high winds also increasing the fire weather threat with an enhanced to critical fire weather threat for much of California in the next few days. The developing low may also, though, produce some much-needed rain for Southern California and Southern Arizona tomorrow and Wednesday. The areas have had much below average precipitation this year and remain in drought. More significant precipitation totals likely over the southern Rockies in the wake of a cold front. Currently across the southern Rockies into the southern plains, heavy mountain snows likely from north central New Mexico into south central Colorado. That front also producing increasing shower activity late today into parts from the southern plains into the lower Mississippi Valley. A cold northwest flow across the unfrozen Great Lakes over the next few days, supporting locally heavy effect snows for parts of New York State, also the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So enjoy these temperatures. Uh, end of the week might be a little bit different today. Is the rest of the week going to be windy as well, or is it kind of just today? Probably we're going to have some uh, breezy days here over the next few days, so these systems are going to keep diving southeast, and so we'll see these kind of slight ups and downs in our temperatures. And when it does get cooler, a little more wind moving through with these fronts moving through, uh, sure. especially these Alberta clippers, these quick-moving area of low pressure is always notorious this time of year for some gusty winds. That, But luckily, it shouldn't be too anything out of hand like we saw in the last couple of weeks here. That is true. The, you can, can stand this wind that we're seeing today. Last week's stuff was brutal. Yeah, no big high wind threat for the time being. All right, very good. For more weather information, where can you go? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you very much. Tuesday night, it's high school basketball and sports as the Lexington girls and boys travel to McCook and we will bring you all of the action on 880 KRVN. Our coverage starts with the Fontenelle Hybrids pregame show for the girls game around 520 with tip-off at 530 and the boys game will follow at around 7. That's high school basketball on 880 KRVN as the Minute Maids and the Minute Men travel to McCook. Also, all of the games this year can be heard online at krvn.com. The Small Business Administration and participating community financial institutions and lenders with under a billion dollars in assets has once again opened the Paycheck Protection Program, more commonly referred to as PPP 2.0, to small businesses. We learn how this may benefit rural businesses and farmers in two segments today on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to help navigate what's changing and happening with PPP 2.0 is Tim Sladek, Waypoint Bank Branch President in Cozad, Nebraska. Tim, as we get started, let's Let's first explore how PPP 2.0 is different from the first Paycheck Protection Program and how rural businesses, farmers, and others may be eligible. Clay, thank you for having me. From the first round of PPP here to PPP 2, we are showing some enhanced eligibility and calculations for those loan amounts, which would take the benefit of the first round of PPP and kind of, again, make that 
a little bit more open for different industries, for uh, independent contractors in the ag sector as well. So really that's the most obvious benefit for for here in rural Nebraska and for many other rural places within the United States. Looking like we can increase that benefit uh, in working with the community banks, partnering with SBA, allowing us to get those funds to where they're needed and can be utilized from the impacts of COVID-19. Really a lot of enhanced eligibility, as I said earlier, and they also have SBA is looking to uh, streamline the forgiveness process, especially for those uh, PPP 2.0 um, under that 150000 mark. So really opening up those funds allow us to allocate those to, and truly get the need out of them. Specifically because this was asked to me, the, the reason we were able to set this interview up and stuff is we had several farmers call us asking us, hey, how are we eligible? What are farmers eligible here in the Paytech Protection Program 2.0? So if you can, what information does a farmer need to have ready? Is it specific tax items or what do they need to bring? And secondly, should they contact their loan officer, their contact at their local bank, or should they go to the Small Business Administration SBA directly? The PPP program the first time and the second time mirrors that it is an SBA-driven program. However, it is run directly through the, the banking industry. So anyone that may have questions or if they are uncertain of their eligibility, absolutely make that contact to your um, your preferred lender or your community banker to get that information. For farmers um, in the agriculture sector, there was on the first PPP some limitations on, on their eligibility. Today, it would appear that that eligibility has been greatly um, increased. Farmers, row crop or livestock uh, individuals, um, whatever their operation is supporting, really what they would need to take in is going to be their their tax returns, which 2020s uh, likely aren't available yet for most individuals, but the 2019 will work. If they do have actual payroll employees, uh, you'll want to get that payroll information as current as you can into, into those lenders. So there's a couple of different avenues there. Again, tax returns, you know, if you don't have an a true payroll, and then payroll information if you if you do go through that process of having multiple employees with the more traditional payroll. The other portion of the PPP 2.0 is another need test. Need to be able to, for the forgiveness portion, which will come out at a later date, be prepared to prove up that 25% gross income impact from a selected quarter from 2019 and 2020. That is another added step. However, again, with amount of impact that COVID's had on, quite frankly, all industries, probably a a variable that's not all that challenging to do. That again, Waypoint Bank Branch President Tim Sladek. We'll continue our conversation on the PPP 2.0 later this afternoon. One more note on the PPP 2.0, the SBA has opened applications late last week, so you can talk with your bank professional now about the program. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen has stepped back in, and, well, we're getting one step closer to the Super Bowl. Here we are. Tom Brady will take on Aaron Rodgers in a matchup of quarterback legends in the NFC title game. The AFC championship matchup features two of the young guns in the league. If Patrick Mahomes is healthy enough to go for Kansas City against Buffalo's Josh Allen, this is pretty enticing Final Four for the mm-hmm. NFL, I would think, after the Buccaneers beat the Saints yesterday and the Chiefs were able to Hang on against the Browns. You know, it's interesting. On one side, at the AFC, you have young up-and-comers that maybe the future of the NFL. And then on the NFC side, you have some of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. 
I'm cheering for Tom Brady. Agreed. I'm right there with you. I would like to see. Now, listen, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. I, I like Aaron Rodgers as well in the Packers. I, I don't think you can go wrong in that situation. I think the Packers probably win, but who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, don't, you don't know when the other guy on the other side of the line of scrimmage is the greatest of mm-hmm. all time. Mm-hmm. So it should be a good matchup on Sunday. Senior center Kate Kane nearly unleashed a triple-double while tying her career high with 22 points as the Nebraska women's basketball team put together another monumental defensive effort on their way to an upset win over previously unbeaten at 15th-ranked Ohio State on Saturday night. Head coach Amy Williams breaks down how they did it. Really good team defense, I thought. Uh, you know, the biggest thing was that um, Ohio State is so fantastic in transition. And so for us to try to slow the pace of the game a little bit and try to control pace, um, try to slow them down as much as we could in transition. Williams made her comments in her postgame show on the Huskers Sports Network. NU is scheduled to play Minnesota tomorrow at 3. We'll have that game for you on Kimmy Country. You talk about a bunch that's done in a complete U-turn with their season. Uh, they got a lot to be proud of. Women's basketball in the state of Nebraska. Good stuff. UNK and now uh, the Huskers. Yeah, it is. Uh, wrestling's also pretty good. The second-ranked UNK wrestling squad had seven bonus point wins to dominate Shadron State on Saturday afternoon, 43-3. to And head coach Dalton Jensen says it was a good day. Any opportunity to, to kind of put up a lot of points on your your in-state rivals as uh, a good day, but uh, yeah, I scored a lot of points, scored a lot of bonus points in a lot of matches, and that's, uh, scoring bonus points obviously is a key factor when you when we look at postseason, when we look at the regional national tournament, when you see the, the top teams kind of separate from those that are in second, third, and fourth is, is bonus points. So seeing that our guys were capable of getting pins and techs and majors uh, was obviously super important. UNK is now 4-3 and three this dual season. They will wrestle again this Saturday at the Midwest Duels and a big matchup tonight, a Big 12 basketball second-ranked Baylor against sixth-ranked KU. That one starts at 8. Anything can happen in college basketball, as we've seen the last couple of weeks. It can, and hopefully those two will be able to play. Also, did I see that Duke is not ranked for the first time since 2016? Huh. Go figure. Interesting times. I think that's why he didn't want to keep playing games. That might be it. (laughs) Thanks, Jason. You bet. Time for Midday News, our own... News director Dave Schroeder yes. stepping in and almost forgot your title. There. That's Dave, right. What are well, you, what do you do I've, here? I yes, I I am just behind the scenes. <laughs> no, you guys do terrific work uh, locally across the state as well. And unfortunately, sad news today here in Central Nebraska: fatality with a crash that happened uh, early this morning. Yes, yes. The Nebraska State Patrol says a North Platte man has died in a rollover crash on I-80 near Overton. Uh, it happened this morning around 2.30 a.m., killing 47-year-old Alfred Leone. The patrol says Leone was exiting I-80 near Overton when he lost control of his vehicle and rolled. Investigators say he died at the scene. The Dawson County Sheriff's Office assisted at the scene. The Transportation Security Administration is using new credential authentication technology at security checkpoints in Omaha's Epley Airfield to confirm travelers' ID and their flight information in or near real time. Michael Fowler, TSA's Federal Security Director for Nebraska, says the technology is better able to identify the fraudulent driver's licenses and passports at checkpoints and increases efficiency by automatically verifying passenger information. It also eliminates the need for most passengers to hand over their boarding passes at checkpoints. 
Travelers will still need to check in with their airline in advance and bring their boarding pass to their gate agent to show the airline representative before boarding their flight. The U.S. Small Business Administration and local financial institutions have opened applications for Paycheck Protection Program 2.0. Clay Patton has more on what farmers and ranchers need to do to apply for the Paycheck Protection Program. The second round of the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP 2.0, has expanded eligibility to include self-employed and self-proprietorships like farms, ranches, and other small rural businesses. For those who would like to apply, Tim Sladek, branch president of Waypoint Bank in Cozad, explains what you need to bring to a meeting with your financial institution. For farmers um, in the agriculture sector, there was on the first PPP some limitations on, on their eligibility. Today, it would appear that eligibility has been greatly increased. Farmers, grow crop, or livestock uh, individuals, um, whatever their operation is supporting, really what they would need to take in is going to be their tax returns, which 2020s likely aren't available yet for most individuals, but the 2019 will work. If they do have actual payroll employees, uh, you'll want to get that payroll information as soon as you can into, into those lenders. Sladek also reminds those interested in applying time is of the essence with a large number of applications expected in PPP 2.0. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Kansas lawmakers have been moving quickly on legislation that would extend their state's COVID-19 emergency declaration before it expires on January 26th. Two temporary bills moving in the Kansas Senate and House deal with COVID-19-related provisions that will impact the coronavirus response. Both have had public hearings and passed out of committee in the first week of the session. The bills extend legislation passed last year, outlining temporary changes in Kansas law. Those include establishments to offer to-go alcohol, expanding the use of telemedicine, and adding flexibility in health care licensing. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. A new campaign this past week rolled out by the National Pork Producers Council. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Lori Stevemer is a pork producer from the state of Minnesota. She's also on the MPPC's Board of Directors. We talked about this Farming Today for Tomorrow campaign and what environmental stewardship means to her. Environmental stewardship to me uh, means using the resources that we have in a responsible manner, you know, with an eye to the future to make sure that future generations are going to be able to, to utilize those same resources. And that's why I think this campaign, you know, Farming Today for Tomorrow is is so applicable uh, because because we are looking at what we are doing today with an eye to the future to make sure that, that future generations, whether it's our kids or somebody else's kids, can continue those farming practices. So what are you guys doing to, to get the word out? Because we in agriculture know about environmental stewardship. We kind of have an idea, even if you don't raise hogs, you know what's going on in the industry. But how are you sharing that story with the world? Well, part of it is through, uh, you know, campaigns and, and messages like this where we're using you as the media to help us get out there. Uh, I think through social media, other things like that. We also, um, you know, use it as we talk to civic groups. And I mean, I, I did a couple of presentations this summer, COVID. Uh, so they were virtual, but I spoke to a civic group out in Maine and also to one in, in Massachusetts and told them what we did as far as farming and these practices. And 
And they were like, I had no idea. They found it very interesting. So, you know, that's part of the, the benefit of the challenge that we've been through with COVID is that we can use technology like this to our advantage to talk to groups and to people and not always have to do it in person. So I think definitely taking advantage of that and amplifying our story gets that out there to a lot more people. So how have you guys within your operation and, and Minnesota uh, producers as well kind of decreased that footprint? You've reduced greenhouse gases, but what are some things that you guys are doing to reduce that footprint around you and around the state and, and other states as well? Sure. So a couple of things that we're doing, in it, and one would be focused on the pigs and one would be focused on the crops. So when we look at the pigs, uh, you know, we are feeding them a very balanced diet. I don't think people realize how good of nutrition pigs have. We look at the age and weight of that pig, and we look at how much energy and protein and minerals they need, and we balance accordingly. And we use um, ingredients like enzymes and organic trace minerals that are very available to that pig. So then there's less excretion into the environment. Um, certainly, we're looking at the environment they're in, their buildings, with water meters and things like that, and just making sure that we're utilizing the resources that we have to grow that pig as efficiently as possible. And then, you know, the manure that comes from that pigs, uh, we are testing that, uh, looking at what the nutrient value is of that manure, uh, looking at our crops and our soil and what they're needing and balancing in that. On our farm, if I look at the crop side of it now, like we raise cover crops. So we've been doing that for about four or five years. So we find that cover crops have been an advantage for helping with the microbial activity in the soil um, and the soil health and fertility. And also the way that we're able to inject the manure into the soil with the cover crops. It, it holds it there. It utilizes it. And so there's less likely of it uh, leaching into our lakes. So so those type of practices, both on the pig and with our crops, are, are really part of this whole story. What are some things that you're looking to do or would like to do in the near future within your your operation? Well, I, I think two things, in, you know, in terms of what we can do, I think always looking at, at new technologies and, and can we have a carbon neutral pig? And my husband and I were just talking about that the other day. So are there... There are tools or incentives that can help us as farmers to, to take advantage of some of those technologies. And on the crop side, always continuing to learn from, from cover crops and what we're doing and, and can we do it better. I think within the farming community, we need to, to share our stories of the practices that we're doing with each other. So to educate. So if somebody's doing something in, in one area with uh, a particular crop application uh, with manure or something in their barns to help utilize uh, resources better. I mean, we need to share that amongst ourselves because that makes the whole industry better. For you, what um, is your biggest takeaway being on the board and, and seeing pork producers and the production from a national perspective? You know, from a national perspective, uh, we have people raising pigs in a number of different ways. I mean, we have Obviously, we live in different parts of the country. We have different uh, environments that we deal with. So so people may raise pigs a little bit differently, but um, we are a progressive and, and a forward-looking group. I mean, people are looking at how to do it better and, and want to do it better, and I don't think people realize that. I mean, when, when I talk to fellow board members or producers, people want to get better. They want to do better on their farms, and, and so that – 
that incentive is there and 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 the desire and the motivation to do better. That's Lori Sievermert talking to me about the new campaign, Farming Today for Tomorrow. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. With the business report for today on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I'm Bob Brogan. The U.S. Capitol complex was temporarily locked down during a rehearsal. Joe Biden's inauguration after a fire in a homeless encampment roughly a mile away sent a plume of smoke into the air and caused security concerns. But law enforcement officials said there was no threat to the public and the fire was not believed to be a threat to the inauguration. Local firefighters put out the blaze quickly. Today, January 18th, is a federal holiday in the United States, marking the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. It is observed on the third Monday of January each year. King's birthday is January 15th. King was the chief spokesperson for nonviolent activism in the civil rights movement, which successfully protested racial discrimination in federal and state law. President-elect Joe Biden is reportedly planning on canceling the permit for the $8 billion Keystone XL pipeline on his first day in office. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation first reported the news on Sunday after it obtained an apparent briefing note from Biden's transition team on the list of executive actions meant for Biden's first day in office. Rescind Keystone XL pipeline permit reportedly shows up. As the outlet notes, Biden indicated months ago that he planned on canceling the pipeline, though supporters of the project had been hoping he would change his mind. In his State of the State address last week, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts said Nebraska's correction system has been underbuilt for 40 years and the infrastructure is aging. Ricketts says that he wants to build a new prison. By 2025, Nebraska's correction system is forecasted to house over 6,400 inmates. He said the correction system capacity for over 5,300 inmates. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Welcome back to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. We continue our conversation with Waypoint Bank Branch President Tim Sladek about the second round of the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP 2.0. In our first segment, Sladek highlighted that this second round has expanded eligibility from the first program that now qualifies farmers, ranchers, and other self-employed or self-proprietorships. To apply for PPP 2.0, Sladek mentioned to work with your local financial institution and have your 2019 tax returns ready. If you have employees, you will also want to bring your latest payroll information to the appointment with your financial institution. Now let's get back to the interview with Tim Sladek. Tim, in the first Paycheck Protection Program, the available funds seem to dwindle quickly with a flood of applications. Is time of the essence for farmers to talk with their financial institutions about PPP 2.0? As I said earlier, you know, a lot of industries, no real industry has been safe from uh, the COVID virus of the financial impact that has had. So yeah, the, the allocated dollars, I would say, will likely go quickly as they did the first rounds. If you even have a question of would I, as a producer or a small business owner, you know, would I qualify? 
I would say you need to be making that contact as soon as possible, have those conversations. So if you are eligible, you can get, get that application in and, and get, get that submitted as soon as possible for approval. We've taken in a lot of information, though. The best one is contact your local, who you talk with and work with at your local bank. Don't be afraid to go to the Small Business Administration. Some really great resources on their website. Uh, be patient, as I'm sure they are experiencing an influx of people curious about this program as well. It sounds like it's kind of changed different in terms of, of what you need to be able to present to qualify for it. Not only is it just for those that have employees, but for the self-proprietorships, for the self-employed, looks like there's going to be this expansion for those type of folks to come in. And again, we appreciate all of your information, everything that you've been able to bring to us here today, Tim. But before we close out our interview, I want to make sure anything that we've overlooked in the interview or final or closing thoughts for us. I would just say one thing for people to be aware of. If you're hesitant or, or maybe you missed out on the, the first round you know, back in 2020, again, they have reopened the, the first round, so you are eligible to apply for that first round as well as the second round. Um, there are some steps to go through to do that, but, again, both are eligible. If, if for some reason that the first round you missed out or, or you weren't eligible the first time, again, some of those uh, guidelines have changed, so... Again, just contact those uh, your lenders or your community banks that have been, uh, I would say, instrumental in getting the PPP program and funding out to the, the individuals and small business owners and, and ag producers that uh, are in need of it. Yeah, with those changes, I think uh, here, you know, PPP 2.0, I think it will be an improved process. And uh, I guess I just would say kind of as a, a final parting shot is if there are questions, make sure you contact that uh, that lender and again community banks have been uh, working diligently and um, not just the last round but here on this round to to get those dollars out to our communities and reinvested within Nebraska businesses, uh, agriculture, and small business owners to to continue to help everyone work through these the challenges that COVID virus has provided all. Of. Thank you again to Tim Sladek, president of the Waypoint Bank branch in Cozad. As Tim stated in our first segment this afternoon, remember to be ready to prove the financial hardship due to COVID later on when PPP 2.0 forgiveness policies are released. You can hear this conversation in its entirety when you visit the podcast tab at ruralradio.com. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. The Coronavirus Food Assistance Program sign-up will open tomorrow, January 19th, and run through February 26th. Undersecretary Bill Northey has some of the details of costs for some of the new changes to the program. About $150 million for the swine top-up, $100 million for turf grass, about $30 million for the crop insurance included in sales revenue, $20 million in the insurance policies of being able to use the APHs. And then the big one that I left out, which is a real question mark to us, it's a real challenge to come up with a number, and that's contract growers. But very little information where we've been able to come up with the actual amount of contract payments that are out there and then the number of producers that didn't receive them. And so we have in the cost-benefit analysis, you'll see it's up to almost $2 billion. Certainly a lot of estimates would be much less than that in the total amount. And in the Consolidated Budget Act, they had said to spend up to a billion. We don't have that same limitation. 
We don't know what that number will be, but it could be that much if the cost-benefit analysis is correct. FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce has more details on new calculations that will mean top-up payments for swine producers. For CFAP 1, the swine inventory payment rate was set at 25% of the estimated total economic loss. And we came by those numbers through the Office of the Chief Economist and some other resources. And the CARES Act funding is being used to increase that, that 25% of the estimated loss, to 50%. So we, we knew the losses were greater than we were able to pay for in CFAP 1. And so this is an opportunity to top those up a little bit. Payments are based on hog and pig inventory owned between April 16th and May 14th. So that inventory number from CFAP 1, and that is multiplied by a payment rate of $17 per head. Fordyce urges producers to contact their local USDA FSA office if they have questions or need help applying. All USDA service centers are open, including those that are restricting in-person visits or that require appointments. You know, our folks, and, and we've gone through this now several months in different phases, but our folks continue to work with our producers and have been doing a really good job of it, by the way, a lot of times by phone and by email and by using some other online tools that we have brought in as some of our resources. Fordyce says the call center will also be up where producers can talk one-on-one with an FSA representative at 877-508-8364. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. And thank you very much, Chabella. That'll wrap up today's midday segments. If you miss anything, listen to our midday podcasts, which is sponsored by Devaney Motors at krvn.com or wherever you can find podcasts on uh, Spotify or iTunes. By the way, I just want to mention that the Nebraska State Patrol has issued an endangered missing advisory uh, to determine the whereabouts of Edward Mannheimer. An endangered missing advisory has been issued for Nebraska as the Omaha Police Department is attempting to locate Edward Mannheimer, who is 75 years old, white male, approximately 5 feet 10 inches tall, and is roughly 190 pounds with balding hair, green eyes, and wearing a blue button-down shirt and dark sweatpants. For full uh, visual of Mr. Mannheimer, go to krvn.com. Now, Mannheimer is missing from the Omaha area, but was last seen at 9 a.m. yesterday in North Bend, Nebraska. He was driving a white 2004 Chevy Malibu bearing Nebraska plates VEA457. Manheimer suffers from medical conditions and seemed confused when last in contact, and they do not know which direction he was headed. If you have information, call 911 or contact the Omaha Police Department. Uh, this is for the entire state of Nebraska, mostly because they don't know his general direction. So again, a endangered missing advisory has been activated to determine the whereabouts of Edward Manheimer, last seen in the North Bend area in Nebraska, Yesterday morning at 9 a.m., again, his license plates are Nebraska, VEA 457. If you have any information or have spotted Mr. Manheimer, call 911 or the Omaha Police Department. For more information or a picture of Manheimer, go to krvn.com.